UNT alumni picked up several awards at the 59th Annual Grammy Awards. Learn more at news.unt.edu. Texas talking, oh, what was that that you said? Texas talking, I'm gonna hoop upside your head. Texas talking, tell me who can you trust when Texas guys are Texas This is Bill Ratliff, the former Lieutenant Governor of Texas and longtime State Senator from District 1. All I can say is I'm glad there was no Texas Tribune when I was in public office. What a bunch of pains in the neck. If you really want to know how things used to be around here, you might want to buy Robert Sturkin's new book, Bill Ratliff, A Profile in Courage and Leadership in American Politics. Enjoy this week's Tribcast. Here's your host, Emily Ramshaw. Thank you. This is Emily Ramshaw here with the Tribcast for Valentine's Week. You guys sending each other Valentine's over there? We are. Yeah, it's a day late. (laughs) Uh, I'm joined by CEO Evan Smith. Ross is my Valentine. Isn't he always? He is. I was yesterday. It's it's a day-to-day thing. (laughs) Right. Until the law changes and I'm no longer allowed to have a same-sex Valentine. (laughs) Ross is my Valentine. Ross is your same-sex Valentine. You heard it here first. (laughs) Executive editor and same-sex Valentine, Ross Ramsey. Uh, Great. (laughs) (laughs) And investigative reporter, Morgan Smith. Hi there. Hey, Patrick. Well, I didn't look up. Isn't Patrick here? Where, where is Patrick? What did you do to Patrick? I kicked him to the curb this week because I thought Morgan was more important. Well, that's undeniably true. <laughs> I'm, I'm 100% for that. Um, we did have these amazing Valentine's Day cards floating around the office yesterday that some unknown person made. They said things like... Cough, Bobby, cough. No, not cough, Bobby, cough. Is it cough, Todd, cough? <laughs> nice job, Todd. I wanted to put them out on social media. They had elected officials on them. and um, They had elected officials on witty them. Witty sayings. Yeah, things like um, Dan Patrick saying, would you be my legislative priority? I was looking for something a little bit more controversial, like roses are red, violets are blue, I love the bathroom bill, and you should too. That would actually be a good, you like that one? <laughs> I just made that up sitting wow. here. Wow, that was wow. fast. Yeah. Um, I, can rhyme okay. with, I can rhyme with blue. It's easy. <laughs> Like, so if you need you really, marketing help, you, are yeah. saying, you really are talented. It's not like you're asking me to rhyme with like rhyme Zerwas, you know. There may not be a rhyme. See now his mind's that. racing. Sure. He's I trying know. to find Quickly. a rhyme. Uh, all right. Well, if you're tuning in live on Facebook, remember that you can send Evan questions our way. Uh, and uh, well, you know, you're just saying you weren't even sure what we were talking about. So I'm going to do everything I possibly can to confound you. All right. Let's start with a pop quiz. What do these things have in common? Lady Gaga. Alicia Keys, the NFL, and Greg Abbott. Wardrobe malfunctions. <laughs> oh God! <laughs> nice. I good can't one. top it. No, <laughs> yeah. None of them rhyme with Zerwa. <laughs> that's, that, that's actually there. That's the best <laughs> answer. All right. What's the real answer? The, the real answer is is that a bunch of uh, celebrities, the kind of people who are Republicans hate coastal elites. These are people who have not taken a position on in favor of the bathroom. Bill. They're not happy about the bathroom bill. I I noticed actually three fictional characters from TV who popped out at me. One was Tammy Taylor mm-hmm. from Friday Night Lights. Yep. Uh, uh, one was Meadow Soprano, <laughs> and uh, and then one was Sarah Manning. I like Orphan Black, so. Uh, so you have a bunch of fictional TV characters opposing the bathroom bill, and then a bunch of musicians. And, you know. All saying what that they're not—they have concerts that are planned here, and they're, they're not all concerned show up. about discriminatory. It's a kind of the generic. We haven't read the bill, but we're concerned in general about discriminatory mm-hmm. practices, and we believe, we assert, 
that a bill like this creates a climate in which discrimination uh, thrives, festers, whatever, and so we're going to we're coming out against this. It's a sort of stock deal that happens in states that pass bills like this. When Hollywood gets involved, doesn't it kind of backfire? I mean, particularly in a state like Well, this. I mean, it's sort of, you know, the usual suspects. You know, it's like, you know, of course they're against it. They're from Hollywood, right? Right. Right. A question from Kim on Facebook. If we cared what Gaga or any of the Holly weirds thought or wanted, wouldn't Hillary Clinton be president? There you go. Where, where, where's Peppy <laughs> so, the Frog so, so to answer that question? There's a question that answers your question. Right. Right. You know, right. you know it's, it's Sid Miller's favorite C word, celebrity. Um, right. You know, celebrities don't go over very well in our politics. We don't particularly like those, unless the celebrities are like Chuck Norris. Right. You know, Chuck right. Norris came out, you know, for the bill. We'll trumpet that. But well, it's Gaga. Not, you know, and there's not any news in somebody from the left being on the left or somebody on the right being on the right. It's when somebody jumps sides. You know, what's interesting about this story and interesting in your first list of names was Greg Abbott, you know, because it's he has the NFL. Well, he hasn't landed. And in although he's landing ish with this NFL stuff ish. is putting him closer to being know. on the field as opposed to on the sidelines. Oh, good. Yeah. Good pun. Hey, it's not a pun. It's just a you know, he had taken a, a hard position on it. I think a lot of the legislators who might be for this bill, might be against this bill, are waiting to see where the governor is before they plant themselves. And, and Right. So this, the, I mean, the NFL deal, so set Hollywood aside, though, the fact that the NFL has come out on this issue and basically said we oppose this has put, I think, Texas Republicans in a pretty awkward position. I mean, it's not— I actually think it's easier for Republicans in Texas than harder. Really? I do. I think that the NFL's opposition is exactly the kind of thing that galvanizes people who may be on the fence right. because they say, wait a minute, I'm not necessarily for this bill, but don't you tell us what to do. Except the Cowboys the and the Texans football. were leaving. Well, the Cowboys the, and the Texans, it sounds like, have not. I mean, I think you think the NFL play, would put out a statement without the Cowboys and the Texans? they're probably going to play their home games here in Texas. I mean, you know, the, right, all, like all, the all, Texas, all, like the football that was going to take place mm -hmm. in Texas isn't going to take place in Texas. Although you and I both know that the word on the street and by street I mean on the block between the Austin Club and the Starbucks, right. is that both Jerry Jones and Robert McNair are not particularly fond of this bill and have indicated that to elected leadership. Right. Well, and initially— and staff of elected leadership have said privately that that is the case, whether the elected leaders have said publicly that's the case. Well, initially part of their concern, you know, I, knew, I know at least in terms of uh, Jones' world, is that they do the high school football championships every year. So if you're going to regulate— you know, public activities and school activities, then what are you going to do when they're playing high school football championships at Jerry Jones Stadium? The bill writes around that and says we're only going to offer these protections in public buildings and not in private mm -hmm. buildings, even when public events are being held in those private buildings. So he got written out of the bill. So but let's say you see the NFL stance on this. I mean, who do Republican white males in Texas care more about, Greg Abbott or the NFL? <laughs> <laughs> I think in this I think in this case I think the, the NFL has higher name ID. <laughs> yeah, I think in this case the NFL's opposition is not necessarily a help to keeping people who may be ambivalent about this from taking a position. Mm -hmm. I think that right. at the end of the day you you side with Texas over uh, invaders. They got Greg Abbott to side with Tom Brady for crying out loud. <laughs> yeah, and believe you me, Sting coming yeah. out against this bill is not going to make you know recalcitrant <laughs> Republicans go, "Oh, great, okay." Right. 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 Yep. Uh, all right. Well, um, 
now that I've lured you all in by talking about the NFL and Lady Gaga, <laughs> let's talk for a couple of minutes about the state budget. Don't worry, I won't do this to you, Evan. I'm going to make Ross <laughs> Good, thank answer God. the questions. Yeah, you can get your phone out. All <laughs> no right, problem. Uh, so specifically, I want to talk about how much uh, cash lawmakers are going to have to fund and whether they are going to have the momentum to tap into the rainy day fund. Looks like they've got, what, like 3% less in their coffers than in 2015? Well, they start with a revenue estimate that, you know, the state's taxes and fees are going to bring in about that much less. Um, Glenn Hager laid this out the day before the session started, said, you know, this is going to be tighter than it was. It's not dire, but it's tight. And so they start looking to other means of balancing a budget. And when they do that, they, you know, um, immediately look at taxes and say, nope, we're still not for taxes. So we're going to rule that out. Um, you can do some accounting tricks, you know, the kinds of things you did with your checkbook in college, move a payment from the 31st of one month to the third, to the first of the next month. Mm-hmm. In the state of Texas, that kind of a move is worth, you know, well over $3 billion. So right. not it's not nothing. And they do it from time to time. The voters don't seem to mind. And then they've got this $12 billion savings account called the Rainy Day Fund. And they've been reluctant to— And it's only going to be $12 billion by the end, right? It will well, 11, ultimately be $12 billion. It's 10.2 now. It'll be 11.9 yeah. at the end of two years. And so the question is, what can we use that for, if anything? The attitude up to now has been, don't use it for anything. The attitude now seems to have thought a little bit. We can use it for one-time expenses— and not ongoing expenses. So you have a lot of legislators going through the budget, you know, like a kid picking the walnuts out of brownies mm-hmm. and saying, we're going to spend this part of this budget on ongoing things. And But this item here is a one-time expense. So put it over in this pile. And they build this pile of one-time expenses. Then you have an ongoing budget that you can fund with the funds Hager's talking about. And this pile of one-time expenses that you can spend out of the rainy day fund. So a big example of this What's an example? Is, yeah, what's a one-time uh, expense? A big example of this is if you if you looked at the condition of the state-supported living centers. Mm-hmm. Refurbishing state hospitals is a great example. In, in, in Texas. Know. That lasts for how long? The fix-up for that to bring, them, to bring them to building code is like seven or $800 million, mm-hmm. which you only have to do it once, and then you can you know let it sit for a while. Uh, there's all kinds of deferred maintenance in the budget. Right. If you looked at something like the border security budget that was up two years ago, which is $800 million. There were a couple of jet planes in there. There was a big camera system for the border in there. Those are one-time expenses. Mm-hmm. The ongoing price of keeping DPS troopers, you know, south of I-10, you know, down on the border is an ongoing expense. But, they but those one-time either, expenses but you can put over there. And if you, you go through the budget like that, there's a lot of stuff that's in a regular budget that really is just for, you know, it's a one-off. So why didn't they go into the rainy day fund last time to pay for those boats and those planes and it those cameras? It wasn't dire last, enough? Last time they were not saying it's okay to use a rainy day fund for one-time expenses. They this were time saying don't use the rainy day the wall. Right. So what, one thing back, Ross well, didn't mention yeah. was the, the what I consider to be the horseshit logic of we appropriated $5 billion for transportation with the ratification of the voters. Right. And, and so our hands are tied on that. But you know what? Let's see if we can't weasel out of a well, deal they, that we cut. They built a weasel into it. And there's two weasels in this budget. One weasel is $4.7 billion that will come out of sales taxes uh, for use on transportation projects. Voters approved this in November of 2015 by 83%. Um, and it turns out there's a provision in there that with a two-thirds vote of the House and the Senate, you can use half of that money, $2.3 billion or so. Um, it's basically a, if the going revenue. gets tough right. provision, um, right? The question is, is it. the going that tough? The other one that's a weasel is, you know, they've financed schools for years on rising property values. So when they reset school finance the last time, the state and the 
locals were each paying about 45% of the cost per student of educating mm-hmm. kids in Texas. Now it's slid, so it's about 52% local, 38% state. And it's because the state has looked up, and every time property values go up and local property taxes go up, the state says, oh, that's that much we don't have to pay anymore. So they pulled back. That's worth about $3.6, $3.8 billion now. So are the House and Senate aligned on the idea of using the Rainy Day Fund, or are they not yet? Uh, they are uh, more or less aligned on the idea of one-time expenses. It's mm-hmm. going to be which one-time expenses. Which I, I and, actually and, wonder and what, if that's To what extent are they going to do I wonder it? if that's true. If they're really you aligned. Been over there yet. <laughs> well, I don't like to go over there. So uh, my, my question, Zerwas was actually pretty public in his comments at the first right, Appropriations sure. Committee meeting that he believed there was an opportunity or an occasion to look into it. I'm not so sure that leadership of the Senate, maybe the Senate finance chair, but I'm talking about the lieutenant governor. I'm not sure that the Senate leadership is necessarily as uh, down on this or down f- for this. Uh, Patrick has not, said, not against lieutenant, it, but lieutenant interested Governor Dan Patrick it. has said, you know, I'll, you know, I think the Senate will consider spending it on one-time items. But they're going to be circumspect. They're not going to say, you know, here's the whole list. We're going to do all of them. Boy, I, bet, say, I bet at the end of the day, the Senate, I bet at the end of the day, the Senate is less into this than the House is. I suspect. Well, I mean, the Senate is less into basically everything uh, when it comes to spending money than right. the House is. Right. You know, it's and then it's the flip side of the coin for a super. And the Lieutenant Governor's exact phrase was, I don't want you to loot it. Remember, right. he used the word right. loot. Right. Which I don't know if that means don't spend it or don't, you know, like, Legislate like a everything. pirate day. What does that mean? You know, our rainy day fund. Arr. Sound like Carol Strayhorn now. Back to the day of the legislature spending like pirates. Yeah. So, did, so the comptroller gave them his blessing to use the rainy day fund, right? I mean, he basically said he says you can use it. He didn't say you should. He, he said didn't you say can don't. use it. And he mm-hmm. said, you know, there's a rumor that's been going around for a couple of years now that this is part of the state's bond rating, and only a very small part of the rainy day fund is part of the state's bond rating. It, you know, the Moody's and Standard and Poor's and all of those don't require $12 billion. They, you know, They'd like the state to have 3 or $4 billion around. Right. And uh, one of our reporters, Brandon Formby, had a story on this transportation provision this week and you know, right. questions. It, basically, he suggested that lawmakers are sort of talking quietly about not spending all the transportation money. They were louder that, than right. quiet but this that, week. There was but, actually open discussion about it. So what do you think the chances are that they sort of step back and decide not to spend the five? It's $5 billion, right, that they're... Well, there's $5 billion that they could get half of. It's mm-hmm. $4.7 billion they could mm-hmm. get half of. I think that'd be the last thing on the... Slate, and in fact, the because voters approved it, and we don't want to make it look like we're not doing what voters. Yeah, and said. I don't think they're going to need the money. Uh, yeah. I think I think they can get there with accounting tricks and rainy day funds and the money they're stealing from local public schools. Um, you know, before they have to steal from transportation. The, be, the best scenario that I've heard, Ross actually floated this, and I guess this is a possibility, is one rationale to spend the money might <laughs> is that be... an endorsement? It is. One rationale to spend the money <laughs> might be, well, you know, we wouldn't have the Department of Public Safety. We wouldn't need troopers if we didn't have roads. So why don't we go ahead and... Uh, they actually did this spend once. Spend some of that transportation money on DPS. But, of course, the irony is the they whole catalyst this for this was that the money that they right. undiverted was money that was paying for DPS. That's how they diverted it in the first place. They said, you know, highway patrol is for highways. We can use transportation money for that. That's how the diversion started back in the early 90s. Ross, your Facebook fans are asking some complicated budget questions, so I'm going to send a couple of them your Stuart way. Greenfield? Yeah. <laughs> All right. uh, okay, a question from Brenda. Does anybody, i.e. Ross, understand the fiscal impact of the voucher bill? You should ask Morgan. The what? Yeah, right, the voucher bill. Uh, they haven't put a fiscal note on the voucher bill yet. Uh, there's a $100 million per year um, cap on uh, tax credits from insurance premium taxes written into that bill that would have a 10% per year escalator in it. So up to $100 billion there. 
and then whatever the cost of, you know, they have a provision in there that says that the state should keep a running cost uh, savings, you know, tally of how much money they're not spending on public schools and are spending on private schools. And because the private school allotment is smaller than the public school allotment, they would call that quote unquote savings. But they haven't costed that out yet. All right. A couple more. Will Texas construction and technology firms get first stab at any of the border projects? I'm assuming they mean the border wall. I assume if they're the low bids, they will. Only if they're the low bids. And then finally, this or is... they know somebody. Yep. Kevin asks, how much do oil and gas revenues affect the Texas budget? It's about 4%. And, and um, it's, but it but it's, it's but it ripples through the economy. Well, so it's fourteen percent of the economy right now. Right. So if, you know. So if your oil price goes down and your firm lays off, you know, a thousand people and doesn't need that office space, then you've hit the real estate market. You've hit the unemployment market. And you've also talked about the oil market. So. Mm -hmm. it, ripples through the economy. Well, one place where lawmakers have partially agreed to pay up is uh, the state's child welfare system, uh, widely believed to be broken in, in many ways. And Morgan has been writing for the last six months researching uh, child sex trafficking in Texas and, and specifically, you know, how failures in the child welfare system exacerbate um, what is already a pretty serious problem in Texas. Um, Morgan, tell us a little bit just about how you all conceived of this project and, and what the big takeaways were from a policy perspective. Perspective. So this was something that, you know, after covering three legislative sessions, there's always some type of big bipartisan sex trafficking bill that just sails through. It's something that social conservatives can get behind because of moral issues. It's something that liberals like because, you know, they get to talk about providing services for, you know, vulnerable populations in the state. Um, but yet it's still a problem and it's still something that, um, you know, you hear a lot of people talk about. There's tons of media coverage, particularly of trials or big undercover stings, but there's nothing. There was nothing really there that put together the big picture of you know, this is how the child welfare where blah, this is how the child welfare system fits into all of this. Um, and a lot of the people who were talking about anti-trafficking anti-trafficking efforts were really not even talking about foster care, child welfare reform. I mean, as long as I've covered the legislature or have been in and around it, it's been, you know, these huge press conferences. And, you know, back when Abbott was attorney general, it were, there were these big press conferences. Paxton has these big press conferences. It's been sort of so much talk. Um, and I think, you know, a, one issue you all really explored is that while they've filed this legislation year after year after year, they've established programs that are basically either completely unfunded right. or unfunded right. mandates uh, for local authorities. Yeah, so most of the state's strategy going after trafficking has been focused on, you know, increasing penalties for people who are convicted, making it easier to get convictions against pimps. Um, they have looked at, they have, lawmakers have passed some programs that were, are aimed at helping victims, but we found a whole list of laws um, starting in 2009 where they're just establishing grant programs or they're setting up, you know, certain local court programs, but then providing no money, even in the bill where, even in a grant program bill, there's no money in the coffers to actually do it. Mm -hmm. So what's the connection to the child welfare system then? So you'll hear people say basically, all right, so this sex trafficking is a problem. Like, how are the two things um, fundamentally linked? Yeah, so there's national data shows that most 
of the kids who become sex trafficking victims have had some form of contact with the child welfare system, whether that means they're foster kids or they've um, been victims of abuse and they've had a CPS worker or someone come to their home. And we also have a recent study that was funded by the governor's office conducted by the University of Texas that shows the same um, at the state level. And so you have, this is the agency, these are the systems that are having the most contact with these kids. So they're kind of in this natural position to be able to prevent it on the front end and then also be the ones to really get services to victims when they are recovered from these situations. One of the most amazing elements of this series to me is that, you know, when these girls are apprehended, there are so few places for them to go to get any kind of services. I mean, there's, you know, you've highlighted there's only one facility in the entire state for girls, kids who have been trafficked for sex, and it only has 20 beds. It doesn't take girls in emergency settings, you know, like when they're picked up by police in the middle of the night. And there's no place for boys whatsoever in the system. I mean, 20 beds in the entire state. So, like, when you look at this issue, you know, what are the solutions? Is it all about funding? I mean, what's how do we start to start to sort of take a crack at this? Yeah, I mean, unfortunately, I, I think funding is, and I say unfortunately because that's the one thing the legislature doesn't <laughs> want to do. Yeah, right. Um, you know, funding is a really, really large piece of it. I think, you know, there are simple things like. Um, getting better information sharing between law enforcement and CPS and um, kind of just getting more coordinate more coordination between all of the agencies that are involved in this but it really is funding and and reform um, in in the child welfare system mm-hmm. is there a lot of law that they need to pass here I mean it looks like I mean it looks like a lot of the legal framework and the statutory framework for this is already in place if they would just, you know, kind of yeah. flow some flow some money through it. That's the other thing is, you know, in our reporting, we talked to lots of advocates, prosecutors, law enforcement, and they all say, you know, our laws are good in Texas. It's just having what they need to be able to actually implement those laws and, right. or take advantage of those laws. Right. I mean, if you've, if you've passed all these laws establishing programs and you put n- literally zero dollars toward the programs, it's pretty hard for those programs to be effective. Right. Yeah. One of the examples is um, last session there was a law passed that allows police who suspect um, an underage kid that they've apprehended or taken into custody is a victim of sex trafficking. It allows them to put them in a specialized placement for a little bit longer than they would normally be able to take custody of someone without arresting them. But there's no facilities in the state that meet all of those requirements. So it's like, here's a tool that we've given law enforcement, but they can't take advantage of it because there's nowhere for these kids to go. And it's all tied to foster care because it's tied to reimbursements for these like group homes and facilities. I mean, these places, there are so few of them because they don't want to open up because they don't get reimbursed enough for the state to make it a good and effective business model. So it's, right. I mean, the whole thing is just like a giant tangled mess. Well, and it looks like foster care has become an inadvertent feeder system. Oh, absolutely. I mean, yeah. that was a huge takeaway for me from Morgan's, right. you know, stories in this series. Yeah, because you have a kid who Who's already, you know, had 
a pretty rough time in their childhood because they've ended up in the foster care system. But then once they get there, they just have a constant message of there's no place for you to go, get bounced from placement to placement. Sleeping in offices, sleeping in psychiatric hospitals. I mean, these are, you know, for a lot of these kids, living with a pimp seems a lot more uh, conducive to a stable life than, you know. Yeah, and they think, you know, at least I will have some semblance of control, um, quote unquote, control over what happens to me if I run away um, instead of just being in this in this system that that I have just no agency. Over I'm, su- I'm surprised at the reaction to this. Facts that are probably known around the margins, but this hits like a thud. Mm-hmm. Where are the people who run the state of Texas going? We got to get out ahead of this problem. Well, we gotta, you know, we gotta I, do, I'm, 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 well, we I'm have had puzzled. a lot. I mean, we I have, have had say, lawmakers in the Capitol. The yeah. last, the first few days that this began to run, there's a lot of conversation about it. Well, good. A lot, a lot this of is what it lawmakers takes. Lawmakers yeah. who might right. not otherwise be talking about it. You know, it might just be out of their scope. I mean, you may be, you know, more interested in some other area, or you've, your efforts have been elsewhere. I mean, it's turned a lot ahead. This is not an issue, despite the fact that it may be difficult for some people to focus on or talk about, and it's one of many priorities that they have in the building. This is an issue on which there can be bipartisan agreement. Nobody likes the way things are as far as this But as we just said a few minutes ago, there isn't bipartisan agreement on how much money to spend. And that's really what this comes down to. I mean, and we've had lawmakers email us this week in light of this series and basically say, can you meet with us? What can we do? What can we do? Um, You know, at the same time, this is embarrassing for people at the very top, the same people who have held 10 years worth of press conferences around this because, you know, they haven't really had an effect on this problem and they don't have, you know, the budget to to you know really make an impact right. so all right well that's um for moving from one semi one very depressing story to another depressing story um there's been a lot of sort of passionate debate and and protests and conversations this week in the immigrant community around these ice raids quote-unquote raids whatever you want to call them happening in texas and other states what is so how serious is this what's the rhetoric sort of versus the reality in this particular realm well, I think, you know, the the reality is is that ICE has been doing some some level of raiding. There's some conversation about, you know, how much of it was raiding and how much of it was normal activity. Right, and they don't like the word raid, although, you know, yeah. well, <laughs> in some cases you know, that's, that's I, obviously what these are. I mean, yeah. if, your fight's, if your only fight's a semantic fight, you're losing. Right. Um, you know, the, the ICE has stepped up enforcement in some way or another at a time at the beginning of an administration where the rhetoric has been, uh, has reached a higher pitch, mm-hmm. and um, where you know you can make a pretty good argument that American voters said, you know, we want this addressed, we want this taken on. Um, Trump talked about it a lot. Trump got elected. This is part of you know whatever mandate he's got. So right. all of that stuff, all of that stuff combines into um, they're going to enforce immigration laws more stringently. And what does that actually look like on the ground? And this week, this last ten days, really, has been a pretty good. Um, indication of what it's going to look like on the ground, at least at first. We started with the refugee executive order, um, which stirred a lot of people up, rightly or wrongly. It stirred a lot of people up and started a conversation going that extended into this week, which is more on the immigration side and on people who are already over here. There are, as there always are, some um, um, pretty uh, disheartening um, anecdotal stories. The woman in Arizona, somebody in in. Um, Austin was arrested while they were looking for his brother-in-law. Jay, Jay's story, right? Yeah. There's, mm-hmm. there's, there's stories right. like this the all around the guy who was delivering Valentine's to, chocolates to his daughter. And basically, you're going to get to a point where you say, okay, what's the new normal? Um, we're in a transition stage, and they're either going to um, do these 
raids or investigations, whatever you want to call them, um, and this is going to be the new normal, or they're going to do this for a minute, and then they're going to back off, and we're going to find something else to do. But This, you know, this is the new normal. I, I think that's probably right. I think this is the new normal. You know, I, we had Phil Montvela, the congressman from Brownsville at the Austin Club earlier in the week, one of our events, and we talked about the fact that, look, whatever else you think about these raids, he said he was going to do it. Right. Right. What's what? What are you surprised about? You know, the guy said he was going to do it. Th- this is the 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 takeaway in the first month. I mean, chaos and you know, we may have a big scandal on our hands. We don't yet know involving Russia. You know, there's a lot. I that think, it, I, well, I think it's safe to say we do have. A there's big a scandal. lot. There's a lot that's brewing there's, in this administration. Yes, there are questions I, about what his colleagues in Congress are going to do. But about these it. are all speci- these are all specific right. things. I would say, in the, as a general principle, one of the takeaways after the first four weeks is. Um, you know, the argument, should you take him seriously, but not literally or literally, but not seriously, mm-hmm. you should take him both literally and seriously. What he said during the campaign, he meant literally, I'm going to come after people, bad hombres, right? I'm going to come after people who are here without documentation who have committed crimes. Now, there's some question as to whether cr- committed crimes means, you know, are just bad guys or people who maybe went through the system and came out the mm-hmm. other side and have, re- re- you know, made lives for themselves and haven't bothered anybody for 20 years. Those people may be tar- We don't know. Um, he said he was going to build a wall. He's building a wall. He said he was going to deal with the travel uh, uh, habits or mm-hmm. uh, right. activities yeah. of people from right. co- countries that are perceived to be. He's doing that. You know, Texans voted largely for it. And, right. you know, I, I got to say, in our right. polling over, you know, seven years, seven and a half years has pretty uniformly shown Texans and Republicans in particular, but Texans yeah, on the listing side, on the border side security and immigration as the top problem. You know, today today Ken Paxton was the first attorney general right, to, to support to file an amicus brief in support of the travel ban. You know, the travel ban is a different category than the ICE raids in the sense that the travel ban is subject to legal scrutiny. And up to this point, there have been an awful lot of judicial rulings that have suggested there, this may not be constitutional, may not be legal. No one is questioning the authority of the president to do what he's doing on the ICE raids. And as has been pointed out, as Vela pointed out, others have pointed out, we don't know whether Trump initiated this round of activities or Obama did at the end of his administration right. because right. Obama was I – mean, Obama was the got de- a lot of flack. Obama for, was yeah. the deporter-in-chief. Obama in the eight years deported more right. people than Bush had in the previous eight years. There's a change in the tone right. and there's a change in maybe the tactic, but the policy is not markedly different than the policies we saw Previously. Right. Uh, a question from Laura on Facebook. Of the people being rounded up by ICE that we've been told are criminals, what kind of crimes are we talking about? Are these, you know, imminently dangerous criminals? Uh, they really range. You know, right. uh, Vela quoted the head of the ICE uh, uh, region or jurisdiction in Los Angeles saying that 75 percent of the people who had been picked up out there were people who had committed what we would think of as kind of, you know, traditional felonies. Mm-hmm. But then there were 25 percent who had done less than that or, you know, misdemeanors, traffic tickets or nothing. And then some folks who were just right in the wrong place at the wrong time, like in the car with somebody who was getting picked up. You know, the assurance of the administration and of the Homeland Security Secretary in particular that we're only going to be picking up, you know, criminal aliens is at least has not been borne out. The execution of this, I don't believe at least, has been borne out as that exactly. All right. All right. Well, that's all the time we have. If you have questions or comments, you can email them to tribcast at texastribune.org. Thanks to Shiny Ribs for doing our music. And on behalf of Evan, Ross, Morgan, our producers, Todd and Bobby, this is Emily. Thanks for listening. Texas talking. Texas talking. Texas talking.
Savage from Cast with Donna Howard and Jonathan Stickland. <laughs> America's fun couple.